Hey everybody, it's time again for the Down in the Valley podcast. I'm Ty Golden, sports editor and Indiana State beat writer for the Terre Haute Tribune Star. Episode 15, No Use in Crying, is being recorded on March 20th at the Todd Golden Studios in my basement in Terre Haute. Um, Well, since the last time I did a podcast, which was right before the Valley Tournament, um, things have obviously drastically changed in the world we live in, uh, the sports world and everything else. Um, As I record this, Um, on, uh, Thursday, March 20th, yesterday was the first case of, uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, the first case was, uh, detected in Vigo County. So, um, when I recorded the, the last episode, which would have been a couple days before the Valley Tournament, um, the world was aware of the coronavirus problem for most of us. It seemed like a distant problem that was away from our shores, but uh, for those of us who had been reading about it all along when it started in China and made its way through the rest of the world, as viruses do, um, I think most of us knew there was going to be a disruption in our daily lives, uh, you know, with no vaccine and without any kind of um, mitigation other than distancing. I don't know that anybody guessed it was going to come this quickly or be this life-changing for everybody. Um, And I certainly don't want to go down the road where I convey the experiences of working in sports um, over the difficulties that, the bigger difficulties that others are having with, um, with, uh, you know, restaurants and other businesses being shut down. People are losing their jobs. Um, It's a bad time for everybody. And um, so the fact that sports is also being sidelined is unfortunate, but I don't want to put it above anybody else's problems because it's not any more important than anybody else's is. Having said that, I think if you look at the historic um, reasons for having spectator sports, if you know your history, um, you know, spectator sports have only really existed for the last maybe 150 years, you know, if you, if you, I'm a history major as well as a journalism major. So, you know, it was one of the developments of leisure time itself is a development of um, an industrial world, the industrial revolution, um, a standard work day, all of that eventually gave us the time to have leisure time, whether it was to follow sports, to go to the movies, watch TV, whatever. Um, but not since the dawn of the beginning of spectator sports in the 1800s has there been a stoppage, um, at least in American sports, that, uh, you know, can compare to this. Uh, you look at what we've lost at this point. Um, you know, you were talking about the NCAA men's basketball tournament, which has never been interrupted, uh, started in 1939. They managed to play it through World War II, and obviously there hasn't really been anything else to um, interrupt it. Uh, The beginning of baseball season is suspended. We've had baseball seasons that have been uh, interrupted before, not ended before, 1994, of course, Um, but we've never had one that entered a season with, other than maybe the 1995 season where there was 
at this stage of the game, replacement player is a possibility. But there was no question at that time of whether there was going to be baseball or not. Now there is. Um, the end of spring athletics for the colleges, including Indiana State uh, and everybody else, that's something that's never happened before. There's been interruptions. There were some interruptions during World War II. The one ISU season I could find in the records I will look back at was baseball was interrupted in 1943 um, by the war. But it takes something like that to, uh, to have stopped intercollegiate athletics before. Um, today or yesterday it was announced that the IHSAA was canceling the boys basketball tournament which had run, run consecutively since 1911. So we are definitely in uncharted waters. Uh, nobody knows. Those of us who have our worlds revolve around sports have obviously never been in this situation before. You have so many assumptions about how the world of sports works when you work in it. Um, as a journalist, you know, by this point, uh, typically we'd be pivoting to college baseball, spring sports in Indiana, spring high school sports, uh, wouldn't have really started in earnest for another couple weeks yet, but that's where you'd be pivoting to. At this point, we'd probably be talking about any basketball teams that would have qualified for semi-state. Um, you get into a rhythm, and you assume that it's a rhythm that's never going to be interrupted. It's in, un, until, until two weeks ago, is unthinkable to think any of this would be un, uninterrupted. And... Uh, now, of course, among many other things, it has been, and it's jarring. Um, even if you guessed there was going to be some serious difficulties once the virus came to, to our shores, um, I don't know that we thought it would be r result in social distancing, a term that nobody knew existed until, or very few knew existed until about a week ago. Um, I think most of us have learned the benefit of it. I'm not criticizing social distancing. I think it's very important as we're starting to see where the virus is um, really taking hold, um, both here and abroad. But, you know, sports has always filled a role of escape. And when your method of escape is taken away, even though it's not the most important thing in the world, it still hurts because... Um, you know, you don't have, it's hard to find something to turn to to get away from the harsh realities of what we're dealing with right now. Even during the wars, you had sports to turn to, you know. If you know your history, you hear a lot about how the sports were diluted during World War II, both baseball and football. Basketball was in its infancy as far as professional uh, status at that time, but but whether it was inferior to the normal product or not, it was something that the, the reason it's there and the reason that FDR kept baseball and professional sports going during the war was for morale purposes because he knew people who were tied up in whether their loved ones were literally fighting in the war or, or, or contributing on the home front. Um, the powers that be at the time felt that sports was necessary to give people an outlet. This is a time where people need an outlet, and we don't have it in sports. We don't have it by going to the movies and a lot of the other ways that we normally have to uh, get away from the real world for a while. So it's that makes it even harder um, for those of us who love sports and who 
do use it for what it's really about at the end of the day, which is entertainment and escape. Um, and the reason I bring that up is, is at the Tribune Star, obviously, like every other outlet that depends on sports content to, uh, to, to uh, you know, to provide to the public, obviously we were thrown into quite a uh, situation in terms of what do we do without any live sports, without any, you know, ability to go to a gym and talk to people and, you know, be able to interact with our sources in the typical way that we do. All that's been taken away. Um, we can get a hold of people on the phone and that's about it. We can't go. My normal practice of going to a Indiana State practice, obviously that's not happening. Same thing for the rest of our staff, including myself this time of year of going to, to the high schools to go talk to people. Um, however, and I'm speaking in, as a sports editor now, not necessarily the Indiana State beat writer, but um, I really do think it's important for our publication to continue to at least try to provide that um, that outlet for escape for people who are dealing with uh, you know much bigger real life problems. So what we've tried to do is is to create some content that um, provides that escape for you. Um, it wasn't easy. I mean, this developed so quickly. We went from um, a week ago, uh, eight days ago, when I was covering the Big Ten tournament, went from having events to no events, basically in the span of 48 days. So what I try to do is, and what you've probably seen in the paper already and online at TribStar.com, is um, we wanted to make sure that the three of us on staff, all of us have been around for a while, used our institutional knowledge and our writing ability to um, give our readers a daily column from each person, um, David Hughes, Andy, Amy, and myself. Um, one thing that I kind of created because I think people like lists, and I think we have an endless amount of lists that we can do to get us through this, is to have a daily top five. Um, that daily top five so far has been kind of in review mode in terms of our recently completed seasons. I, Andy, Amy has done a couple um, high school basketball-related ones. I've done a couple ISU basketball-related uh, top fives. The two I've done were top five, uh, top five games of the year for the Sycamores and top five performances of the year for the Sycamores, which uh, will run in, in today's paper, Thursday's paper. Um, and we're going to have one every day. And eventually, when we get a little further away from the seasons, we'll make it more about top five ISU baseball players I've seen play, that kind of thing. I mean, we should be able to draw upon that for a while uh, to give you something to read. You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. But the important thing is, is that it's uh, creating an outlet for you to uh, not have to read about the like I said, the harsh realities of what's going on in the real world right now. That's part of what we, I, I feel like that's our contribution uh, without sounding pretentious about this, but it, that's our little way of being able to contribute to keeping people's morale up. And I think that's important. I think it's an important role for our publication. I think it's an important role for all sports departments uh, to fill. So uh, we're going to have other stuff too. Well, we'll have day-to-day -day stories, you know, um, features, uh, I had one this week talking to some ISU athletes who had their seasons ended abruptly, spring athletes, which is heartbreaking, of course. Um, 
Obviously, I have the story today about the IHSA canceling the state tournament, which was very heartbreaking. I think for some reason, it's been such a war. Uh, it's been such a blur of um, of what would normally be cataclysmic sports events that have happened over the course of the last week. You know, they've hit so fast and furious that it's almost you really haven't had much time to think about it. It just became the reality. You had to deal with it and. In our case, we had to, you know, move on from it, basically. Um, not necessarily emotionally, but, you know, we have a paper to put out every day, and we have to, we can't dwell on these things too long. For some reason, though, today, when the IHSA tournament got canceled, it hit me a little bit harder um, than even, and I'm not ranking it along with some of the other things that have been canceled. I don't mean it that way. But when you look at something that's been being played since 1911, and you know, you're dealing with kids who have been thrust into the biggest situation that's ever happened in their lives. I think that could be said for more than kids, but certainly for them, this is a pretty earth-shattering moment for them, and you just feel bad that um, something that in their young lives, you know, being 16, 17-year-olds, um, you know, when you're my age in your 40s and you look back on things that you feel like were important at the time, and you, it takes time to put those things in their proper perspective, knowing that you're going to have other big moments in your life. When you're in high school, you really don't have that perspective at all. And so I really feel for those kids who do feel like they've worked their whole lives to get up to this moment and won't have the moment um, through no fault of their own. And I know this a little bit, you know, both as a journalist and talking to kids. I know how they think. I also know it as a father. Both of my kids are in high school. Uh, my daughter is a senior, and um, I know she's had her days where she's been upset about the fact that a lot of her senior experiences um, uh, are in limbo. You know, things like prom, graduation, things that all of us have had and experiences that we've been able to live through that uh, a lot of our current kids won't, and I really feel bad for those for all kids who, um, you know, have to endure this. But, of course, there's a lot worse that people are enduring, you know, with people who are getting sick. And there's probably, unfortunately, um, more to come. So, anyway, I wanted to, I know I've been rambling, but I wanted to make sure that I conveyed that I do feel like sports still has a role to play. Uh, whether they're playing sports right now or not is immaterial. We can provide sports content to you, um, yes, a lot of it will be based on sports that have happened in the past, but the beauty of being in newspapers and, you know, we, I, I don't know how many people in newspapers pay attention to this. We often get called quote unquote legacy media and meaning old media. And there's some truth to that, but there's also a lot of truth to the fact that there's some advantages to being having a legacy behind you, and that's that we have over a hundred years of material that we can call upon to um, to give you content that you want to read. So hopefully we'll accomplish that mission. We'll see how long we have to do it. Um, hopefully not as long as some of us think, but, um, but we'll do it as long as we're allowed to do it, as long as we can, and I feel like that's um, the mission that we've been given in a really difficult situation so that's the way I'm approaching it as a sports editor and um, I really think uh, hopefully it's appreciated I mean 
because um, we want to make sure we're helping people get through this. So, um, so that's the world we're living in. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, and it it's hard to, you know, I was the next part of this. I was going to talk about um, the end of the Indiana State season, which I never really got a chance to do in a podcast. My intention was to do a podcast shortly after the season ended. And what happened was, is I have, um, ISU was knocked out late Friday night at Arch Madness. Seems like it's been eons ago. It actually hasn't even been two weeks ago as I record this. But um, then I went to, and I'm glad I did, I went to Vincennes on that Saturday and covered Sullivan against Washington in a uh, sectional championship, which I I don't get to cover the sectionals very often because I'm usually busy with the Sycamores. So uh, even though driving from St. Louis to Vincennes is not the greatest drive of all time, but um, but I'm glad I did it and I'm glad I got one last high school game in um, before the world started falling apart. Um, typically after Arch Madness, I do take a few days off. Um, you know, to decompress a little bit after a uh, long season, which I did. Uh, I came back to work on, would have been a week ago, last Wednesday, and um, my and my original plan was I was going to be helping our newspaper chain cover the Big Ten tournament. Myself and Kevin Brockway, who covers Indiana for our chain, uh, we're going to alternate covering the Big Ten tournament games. And that seemed to be as of that Wednesday, what exactly what was going to happen. I drove over to Indy. I'll admit I had some trepidations about it. By then, the seriousness of the coronavirus was becoming evident. And my guess was, although they let fans in that night, that that was going to be the last night that they did. Um, And uh, things, obviously, if you remember that night, spiraled pretty quickly. Um, I went from... um, I ended up covering Indiana, Brock... Kevin Brockway was sick that day, um, and it went from the halftime of the Minnesota Northwestern game, which preceded the IU game. Um, that's when they announced that fans were not going to be allowed inside the field house for the remainder of the Big Ten tournament, which itself was a momentous thing. I think people anticipated, but it's still a huge thing to he- actually hear it. Uh, that ended up being one of the most minor things in the night because by the halftime of the IU game, you'd already heard that there was a coronavirus positive test at in, at the uh, Oklahoma City-Utah NBA game. Um, the NBA had suspended its season within a couple minutes after they um, got word of that, and it was a tough night at the Fieldhouse. I, I mean, I actually, because IU was blowing out Nebraska, um, most of my game story was written, so I wanted to get down to the media room so I could be there for the press conference. And um, I got down there. I mean, I left the arena itself at the first media timeout, which typically I don't leave that early, but that game was already a 20-point game, and it was out of hand. And it was really sad because I had to make... It's a long walk, kind of a long journey from where I was sitting down to where they have the Big Ten media room at. And... um, you know, the word was getting out to the people at the field house that the NBA was suspending their season. And, I mean, people were really upset about that because they knew they were basically out of a job. And it was tough to hear people talk about that. Um, anytime you hear somebody in that kind of distress, it's just uh, awful. And I felt terrible for the people there at the field house. 
And then towards the end of that game, um, Fred Hoiberg came off the, the floor with with an illness at the last media timeout. And, you know, that's when it really got kind of uh, um, maybe frightening is overstating it, but definitely disconcerting uh, because I think after the events of what happened in Oklahoma City, uh, many of us assumed that that Hoiberg was going to uh, also test positive. It turned out not to be the case. But it certainly added a, ratcheted up the level of concern for the people who were in the field house and who knew about it. Uh, it turned out that Hoiberg tested just for the common cold, influenza A. Um, but but we didn't know that at the time, and it was, uh, it was, it was dis- like I said, it was disconcerting because even though I was nowhere near Hoiberg, um, you know, we do share the same hallways and all that. And, um, of course, you know, we're still learning about how easy it is to, uh, contract the, the coronavirus. So, uh, it was, it was an interesting night. And of course, after that, um, you know, really it turns out I, I probably covered the last significant sporting event for quite a while. And, um, that's, uh, it, it's still, I think I'm still like most people in shock about that. I don't think it's sunk in yet. Like I said today or yesterday when they canceled the IHSA tournament, it sunk in a little bit. Um, I think when baseball was scheduled to start, when opening day was scheduled to start, it's going to hit me harder then because that's actually my favorite spectator sport. But, um, you know, we're living in unprecedented times, and um, it's it's just tough to get through. But the reason I'm blabbering about all this is... Um, you know, whatever I was going to say about reviewing Indiana State's basketball season is, you know, a lot of it, honestly, is null and void. I mean, we, we're we living in a world that is completely different than it was um, 12 days ago when ISU ended their season um, with a pretty heavy loss to Missouri State in the um, quarterfinals of the Valley Tournament. Um I think the one thing you can say about Indiana State season, which they finished 18 and 12, tied for third place with Bradley in the conference um, at 11 and 7. Um, and I wrote about this uh, right before I did the last podcast. Um, I think you got to give Greg Lansing a lot of credit. Um, this was not going to be an easy season for him. Uh, if you think about it, the challenges that the, you know, there's all kinds of challenges that we all have beaten to death about, you know, the, the the smaller budget than ISU has compared to some of the other Valley teams um, and all of that. But this season had some unique challenges, too. I mean, the Holman Center renovations obviously didn't allow for normal practices, didn't allow for a normal non-conference schedule. The women's basketball team dealt with that as well. Um, so that's one. And then, um, you know, I think Greg deserves a lot of credit for bringing in two of his the best recruits he's ever had, um, while under, you know, while being on the hot seat. In a way, it kind of, um, you know, it's hard to whether you attribute it to hard work, luck, a little bit of both. But, you know, you hear all the time about how coaches need contract security to recruit. Ironically, two of the best recruits Greg has been able to bring to Terre Haute were brought in when he was under duress. So. I don't know if that lends credence to that, you know, contract negotiation ploy or not. Um, you know, I'm, I know that there are coaches who recruit against coaches who 
um, have shorter contracts. I know it happens, you know, so it's not like people are making that up. But, um, but Greg cleared that hurdle this year, and he deserves a lot of credit for it. Um, having said that, the exit, the game itself, um, now, I had expressed this, and 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 I, be, I believe several podcasts leading up to this one, and and in print as well. I didn't think Missouri State was a good matchup for the Sycamores at all, and unfortunately, that was borne out. Missouri State is the one team that brings quite a few athletes to the table. They're bigger. Um, the ISU beat them, of course, down in Springfield, but they were playing differently back then. Missouri State was not a connected team. And it showed when they played down there. By the time they played in Terre Haute, they were a much better connected team. And at least on the first night of the Valley Tournament, it was the good version of Missouri State. And ISU was going to have trouble beating the good version of Missouri State, and that was borne out. I mean, um, pretty much all their primary contributors had good games. Uh, Gage Prim, Tulio Da Silva, um, uh, everybody else. I mean... um, it was it was a rough night. ISU did not shoot well. Missouri State start, didn't start well in that game either. Um, so that was a missed opportunity when the Sycamores weren't able to connect on much of anything, and they just never got in any rhythm. I, they, I, I don't know until maybe later in the game that they were taking bad shots. They just weren't falling, and, um, and then it got out of hand in the second half. So... The unfortunate thing is, is that it does continue a pattern for the Sycamores at Arch Madness. You know, for the longest time, um, ISU was good for a win there. Whether they came out of the play-in round or not, they were good for at least one win at uh, the Valley Tournament for about a 10-year period. Actually, from my first year, which would have been the 2005 tournament, um, all the way through to Jake Odom's senior year in 2014, um, that's 10 years worth of tournaments. There was only one year in there where ISU didn't win at least one game, and that would have been 2010, um, when the, which would have been Kevin McKenna's last year. Other than that, they were able to at least win, usually out of the playing round, at least one game. Um, they were always playing, at the very least, um, on Friday, or even in my first year on Saturday, uh, in the Valley Tournament. But in the last several years, that pattern has come to an abrupt end uh, since Odom's senior year in 2014 ISU has won only one game at the Valley Tournament that was an upset over Illinois State in 2016 when the Sycamores were the sixth seed and the Redbirds were the three apart from that it's been ugly um, I, I've written about it already but uh, the average margin of defeat uh, for ISU in its you know tournament ending loss or season ending loss um, at Arch Madness since 2015 is 20.1 points. So um, that's hard to defend. That's a pretty damning indictment of whatever is causing, you know, sometimes ISU has been overmatched, okay, but there's been several matchups in there where they should have done a lot better. And, um, and I think Greg Lansing understands that. He mentioned it to me when I talked to him about the season this week that, they have to do a lot better job in St. Louis. Um, now, going forward, we're in a whole new world here. Um, a lot of people have asked me about Greg's uh, status um, as coach. 
I have always thought that, first of all, obviously I wrote in a column that I feel like he should be back. I still feel that way. I think if you go 18 and 12 on the hot seat and you get to third place uh, when you were picked sixth and when you haven't had a winning season in at that point in five seasons, um, whether you have the desire to make a change or not, you got to give the person who did a good job for you a, a chance to continue doing that job. Um, I have heard, you know, things both ways about the about Greg's job security. I had a group of people who were telling me he was completely safe. I had another group of people who were telling me he was in trouble. Um, but all of that was before uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis hit us. And now, I don't know that you can make any assumptions about anything. I mean, Greg is obviously still a coach. He's recruiting to the degree he can. It's a dead period right now. Um, I haven't received any indication from anybody in officialdom at ISU that would suggest that he's in trouble. You never know. Things change. But I just don't know that with all the uncertainty that all college athletics are facing right now, including the NCAA tournament getting canceled. I'll talk about that in a second and the ramifications of it. Um, but I, let's say you had donors that could buy out Greg's last year. Well, that was before, you know, you had the stock market going into the tank before businesses were completely shutting down. I don't think you can make any assumptions about anybody's money as far as buying anything out these days. Um, I think the safe play and the smart play in a time of uncertainty is to stick with the status quo. And it's, you know, I think that's what um, needs to be done in this case. And so far indications are exactly, are, you know, would suggest that that's exactly what is going to be done. I have also heard that um, an extension might be being worked on. I don't have any facts for that. I don't have anybody who's willing to go on the record about that. Um, but that's also being considered, apparently. So, um, again, though, that was before the world started changing. So we'll see. Um, like I said, I think given the financial uncertainty that everybody is feeling right now, not only does it put live sports on a freeze, but in my opinion, I think it takes a lot of this silly season that we have in college basketball really off the table right now. I mean, if you think about it, and I saw an article about this, I think it was at one of the Kentucky radio stations, of all things. I happened to see it on Twitter. Um, and they made a great point. I mean, let's say you do want to make a coaching change right now. Um, and I'm not even talking about a head coach. Let's say you want to make a change to your staff, you know, if you're staying there as a coach. In this world where, you know, people forget that these guys aren't robots. I mean, they have to move their families. they got to buy a house. they got to sell a house. they got to get their kids into a school. Everything that real people do when they have to move, coaches do all the time in all sports. And, you know, when you can't even know that you can have necessarily freedom of movement to go from one place to the other, um, or when you have to consider trying to sell a house at a time when, you know, the, the world is basically frozen. I wouldn't want to be selling a house right now. Um you'd have to put your kids in a school where you don't know when school is even going to start. Uh, most colleges have suspended their, their, their spring semesters. It's all going to be online. So if you're a coach, you're not even going to be able to see your, your, your players until who knows when. 
there's so many uncertainties that just lead to the silly season of college basketball being, you know, a shadow of what it typically is. There have been some coaching changes made, um, but not nearly as many as there typically would be at this point. Um, so all assumptions that we have typically at this time of season um, are out the window as far as I'm concerned. We're in a whole different territory. And so Indiana State, in my opinion, is no different. Um, you know, so I I think in a way, the way the, you know, outside events have developed have created the conditions for Greg to be here anyway. And like I said, he deserves to be back in any case. So, um, you know, there's a, we have a long ways to go in terms of how many permutations and developments that can happen between now and when we assume next season is going to start. So, um, you know, I think, you know, anything that we thought we might know, we don't know anymore. So I'm not afraid to admit that. And um, I think that's just the reality of the situation. And like I said, taking this out of the realm of Indiana State, we still don't know. We have no idea what the shockwaves of this situation are going to be. Canceling the NCAA tournament is um, a momentous thing, not just for the emotion of there being no tournament, uh, which is itself big enough, but you know, the whole structure, the whole financial structure of the NCA is predicated on March Madness. You know, we talk about how powerful football is. That's true for the institutions. For the actual governance body, the NCA makes its money off of March Madness. I believe it's something like 80 to 90 percent of their budget comes from March Madness. So, you know, much of what I've read suggests that the NCA is going to have difficulty with the normal payments that they make to the leagues out of the media rights. Um, we talk about units sometimes uh, when the NCAA tournament is coming along. Loyola, when they made it to the Final Four two years ago, earned the Valley um, five units. You know, you get a unit for each round you advance up to the Final Four. So um, that was a boon for the Valley in terms of what cut they get from the media rights. Um, now nobody's going to get a cut. Or Well, I mean, we don't know that yet. The NCA does have a reserve fund, but they've dipped into it quite a bit to pay off lawsuits and to pay out schools who needed assistance to get through some of the compensatory changes that have happened in the last several years. So their reserve isn't anywhere near what it what it was a couple years ago. So we don't know what the financial impact of the NCA is and what the ripple effect is on schools. Most schools um, and ISU would certainly be one of them, get 3 to 5% of their athletic budget through that uh, March Madness payout. So that's, while that's not, you know, it's it's not a deal breaker, it's still pretty heavy, and there's going to be an impact felt from that. Um, we don't know at this point how it's going to affect donations across the board. We don't know how this situation is going to affect enrollment next fall. My guess is it's none of this is going to be in a positive way. Um, we don't know when sports will be able to resume. I mean, the NCA was, some people thought they were too quick to cancel their spring seasons, but the way this thing is going is we're probably going to be in the teeth of this thing probably until at least late April. If you look at the way the virus has played itself out in other areas that it's hit hard, we do have China now as a example of the time frame to yesterday was the first day China did not have any new coronavirus cases 
um, but they got their first ones um, in early December. Um, that's basically where we're at right now, and it took them about, you know, almost three months to uh, get through the teeth of it. And if we're at the beginning of that now, you can do the math as to where this is headed, or could be headed. Um, maybe, hopefully our social distancing and the measures we're taking to avoid that will um, do its part, but, um, you know, that's there's no guarantee of that. So uh, we really don't know where college athletics are headed. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, I mean, and that's, that's going to affect Power 5 schools and mid-majors alike. So um, it's uh, really uncharted territory, as I said. Um, so we'll see. It kind of sucks to be able to have to ramble on about things that we don't know anything about. Um, hopefully sports will be able to get on its feet again by May. We'll see. Maybe that's too optimistic. But um, I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic and um, because there's going to be plenty of things that are going to keep us um, down in the dumps for the next few weeks. So um, anyway, that's kind of a short down in the valley this week, um, kind of rambling. There's not much more I can do but ramble. Um, hopefully I'll have another one soon. I'll organize it a little bit better. One thing I do want to do is, and this was suggested to me by Derek Dockett, who used to work for the Missouri Valley Conference, something that would be fun to do would be to uh, watch an old Indiana State game on YouTube and, and just live pot it. So um, I don't know that I'm quite ready to do that yet, but um, I think it's a good idea, and I think it'd be kind of fun. So, um, but anyway, that's down in the valley for this week. Um, I called it, by the way, No Use in Crying, which is a Rolling Stone song off of uh, Tattoo You, um, because as difficult as this situation is, we're going to have to endure it, and we're going to have to get through it. And like I said, at the Troop Star, we're going to do what we can do to get everybody through it. But I think once we do get through it, I think the one silver lining in this, I hope, is that we appreciate what we have in sports a lot more than we did before this started. I mean, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, we got in, I think a lot of us almost, you know, looking back at it now that we don't have sports, I, maybe, maybe I just feel this way about myself, but I feel like we were in a little bit of a rut in terms of okay, here we go, here's our silly season for basketball. Here's all the stuff that we have to argue about, um, you know, the silly ESPN debates that they have um, about who's the GOAT and all that stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, none of that stuff really matters. It's the, And I think we got away from the fact that it was the games that have always mattered. And now that we don't have games, I think we realize that all that other stuff was really kind of bullshit. You know, I mean, to me, the elements of sports has always been about enjoying the games. And now that we don't have the games, I think we're kind of appreciating that. So um, I think when they come back, I think maybe we can appreciate it even more on, on, on more of an innocent level than maybe we did before. Uh, because once you have something taken away is when you really truly start to appreciate it sometimes. And I think that's going to be what this situation teaches us that all of the silly stuff that we argued about that we thought was important um, before the sports world stopped, I think we're going to realize that what was really important all along was the competition 
um, enjoying loyalty to our teams and just having two, three hours to go out and just sit around and watch a baseball game, watch a basketball game, later on watch a football game. So hope we get to that as soon as possible. But until we do, um, we're going to do our part to try to make it better for you. So that's it for this week. Down in the Valley, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.